Hello and welcome to Weekly MTG. Today we've got an awesome show because it's two shows in one. Two what? shows in one. You get two, two shows for the price. It's a new year. You get two shows for the price of one. You do. We That's promised you and Ian Duke and an Ethan Fleischer to talk about Theros Beyond Death, and we will deliver on both of those gentlemen. They're actually sitting right over there off camera, uh, waiting patiently for their turn. But first, but first it's me. First it's Michelle Sutterfield, and she is. Uh, uh, our influencer manager. Mm -hmm. So if you are a streamer or a fancy person or, or just someone we fancy like, person. a fancy person, <laughs> fancy if person. you wear a monocle if, and, and a top and hat, a top hat then and you, you know who yeah, I am, and you know exactly <laughs> who Michelle is. Uh, she's gonna talk about an exciting announcement mm -hmm. today for a new creator program. Uh, so we're gonna spend the first part of the show on that. Uh, but first. Steve's going to do the news. It's news time. It's news time. It's news time. Yes, indeed. We've got a little bit of news for you today, as we do every week here on the show. Uh, but this week is especially exciting because today we revealed the final rosters for the 2020 partial season, Rivals League. Rivals League for Magic. Uh, and you can see their names up on the screen there. This is also available via magic.gg. Many names on there that people are going to be able to recognize. This is not going to be uh, an easy Rivals League. There are a lot of names there that are extremely recognizable. Some very good Magic players there. I'm sure many of our viewers will be very familiar with a lot of them. Some of them were MPL last season. Some of them are new to this, uh, this top-tier competitive play that we've, we debuted last year. And this is the first year for the Rivals League. So congratulations to all the members of the 2020 partial season inaugural Rivals League. Uh, that also leads us to another league that we have, the Magic Pro League. I've heard of it. Heard of it. It's out there. Uh, these are the members of the 2020 partial season roster of the Magic Pro League. And again, there are a lot of really recognizable names on there. No surprise. You got some former world champions, some former Hall of Fame, some current Hall of, Hall of Famers. Read somebody. I don't, eh, I don't, yeah, no idea who that is. But it's, uh, we've got some really great names on there. So we should look forward to seeing some incredible competitive play out of those folks. And if you want competitive play, if you want to see some of the best of the best of the 2019 season, you should tune in to the World Championship of Magic. Magic World Championship 26 coming up in February, and we just launched an amazing campaign, hashtag findyourchampion at magic.gg. You can pick the person that you think is most likely to win the whole thing, the entire Magic World Championship 26, and you can get some pretty cool rewards depending on how deep they go in the tournament. So check it out, magic.gg, hashtag findyourchampion. Thank you, Steve. You're welcome, Blake. Yeah, no, thanks. Thanks. Um, but let's get to <laughs> let's get to our guest. Yeah, Steve and I could sit here and talk for a while, but we, we're not going. And to. we do very often. But we're, yeah. we're gonna, <laughs> Michelle has many things to say because this is a yeah. really cool announcement. So why don't you give us an overview of, of what's happening? Sure thing. First, I want to preface by just saying that we have probably the best creator community ever. I, you can take the probably out of there. I think we yeah, the okay, good, because I, I also agree with that. I'm putting in the property because it's like, mm, maybe, but no, definitely the best, yes, yeah. right? <laughs> One of the top three best communities ever. Um, no, we have an amazing creator community. Um, they, they foster each other. They help each other's content. Um, they're creating amazing things with magic all of the time, and uh, we've had a really great... Uh, about uh, two years now, kind of fostering that with them. Um, but we know that we need to make a next step for that. And so I'm so happy to announce that today we are officially announcing the Magic Creator Program. 
and we're doing this in partnership with Stream Elements. So if you actually go to your Stream Elements uh, platform right now, if you look on the left-hand side of the screen, you will see a new Partnerships tab that showed up. Does it look like that? It does look like that. <laughs> and in that uh, Programs tab, you will see the North America Creator Program there, and then we're also going to have one for Europe as well. So this ongoing Creator Program is going to be quite amazing. Inside of the program, we have set up multiple challenges that you can participate in that will not only enhance your content, but it will also encourage community and um, interactive play with your community that way. So I'm guessing it looks something like it this. It does. Yeah. <laughs> Some of the challenges are going to be automatically tracked through the Stream Elements platform. Other challenges will be manually tracked by us here at Wizards, and the streamer or YouTuber themselves will need to um, submit you know, some sort of link or an image that goes along with that. Um, but all of these challenges will also allow the creator to earn a reward uh, for either themselves or their community. So the challenges will be based upon something that is either for themselves to enhance their content and then the reward will be something personal for them. And right now, uh, the two rewards that we have set up in the system, um, the personal one is for gems, so it will help the creator continue to be making content. And then any challenge that has a aspect to it that helps the community will have a community reward. And those community rewards are ICRs. And so with those challenges, the creator will actually get a bulk number of codes um, per challenge. And the, the codes will either redeem for one card, three cards, or five cards. And so it's a really cool uh, program that just encourages everyone to get together and, and create some really fun content. Now, I do want to make sure that everyone knows that this program is available now. You can go in and you can apply for it right away. However, it's only going to be in beta right now because it is a new program and we want to make sure that we're going to be testing it correctly with a certain amount of streamers mm -hmm. and YouTubers and Facebook streamers and, oh, Mixer streamers as well. So um, this program is open to a lot more than just Twitch. And we also know that uh, MTG Arena is going to be taking a majority of that content for this creator program. Um, but this is a program that we're going to be wanting to build to go beyond that. Um, so we want all sorts of magic creators to apply. And when we look at their applications, depending on how uh, many applications we're seeing from the different kinds of creators that we are getting in here, we'll create challenges based on that. Okay. Uh, now, are there any requirements to apply? The requirements is that you are being an actual content creator. Mm -hmm. So um, we don't want to um, disencourage anyone that is you know, maybe only bringing in five viewers pure their stream or um, is only able to stream a few hours every single night or create one video a week. That's still constant creation. We understand that um, there's a lot of passionate content creators out there and um, they're trying their best to create the content and, and we do want to support them in this. Mm -hmm. um, however, we also want to make sure that we are supporting the right kind of creators, the people that are putting in the time and the effort. So um, if you are showing that time and the effort and we, we see that in your application when we go through and look at your content, um, you will be considered uh, in, in the application process. Yep. Now we have a little bit more to chat about this, but I also in the meantime want to encourage you, uh, if you have questions, for Michelle to put in chat, Please. Uh, put them in chat. I'm watching chat right now, and so I will ask them as they pop up. Um, but then I had another question. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned that it's for North America right now. We're adding mm -hmm. Europe. 
Uh, are there going to be other regions added in the future? We do want to add in um, all of our regions that we support creators for. Mm -hmm. um, we, we have worked that out with Stream Elements. The deadline on that is not yet figured out because, again, this is going to be a beta program and we yep. still have a lot of kinks to work out. Um, but we, we have worked it out in the contract with them to regionalize creator programs. Okay. Uh, question from chat, uh, is this only for streamers? No, if you are a YouTube creator, um, if you're also streaming on Facebook and Mixer, we do encourage you to apply. Um, if you are creating podcasts, um, you're interested in making uh, cosplay content on video, um, you know, we, we do encourage everyone to apply to this because we want to make sure that this program can uh, support the majority of all of our content creators. Mm -hmm. That's the reason why it's called a creator program, not a streaming program. Presumably. Absolutely, yeah. and the fact that we called it the Magic, the Gathering Creator Program, not mm. just Arena. Um, another question from chat. We're getting a bunch of good questions. Right. So we're just going to start going through them. Good job, chat. Uh, Yay. Good job. Do you have to fill out a new application, or does the existing creator app cover them? That's a very good question. Yes, you will need to fill out a new application, which is through Stream Elements. Everyone that has applied for the um, featured creators in the past should have received an email if they're part of our subscription service. Mm -hmm. um, for, the, for the newsletters, they should have already received an email with a direct link on how to apply to that right yep. now. Um, but this also brings up an interesting point of the featured creators. Um, we do have quite a few people already scheduled to be a featured creator. Now, obviously, this is going to be changing things a bit with the creator program. So I want to make sure that everyone knows that those that are scheduled but have not yet been featured starting with this week forward, um, the feature will still happen for you. And in fact, that's going to be your introduction into the beta of the creator program mm -hmm. uh, moving forward. So if you are featured, that's when you will also get your acceptance into the program. Yep. Uh, and I also want to point out that a lot of this information, uh, if written form helps more, it's on dailymtg.com. Yes. It should be up right now. I, I hit publish before we went on the stream, <laughs> but I didn't check it. Um, so it should be up there uh, so you can see all the details and everything there. Um, next question from Chad. Is this program only available for Stream Elements users? It is right now because the program is run through Stream Elements. We have such a huge community um, that needed a lot of, of fostering, and a lot of that needed to be automated so that we can support the creators the best we could. And the way to do that is we needed to find a partner that can make a program for us mm -hmm. that we can customize in such a way that we can automate a lot of that. And um, we went through a lot of different uh, partners to, to, to look at and to see where we can make this program, and Stream Elements came forward with the best option for us. And in fact, this program that they have made and now introducing themselves on, on their end is something that we built with them from the ground up. Great. Um, before we go to the next question, uh, sh producer Sean, can you put up the graphic showing the interface again so that people know where to go on Steam Elements? Um, and then Michelle, roughly how many creators are you looking to accept during the beta period? That's still to be it's still be, to be determined, to be quite honest, um, depending on how many of the EU applicants we're going to get as well. Mm -hmm. um, but we're looking to be around 100, obviously, um, give or take, um, depending on uh, the, the kind of creators that we will uh, have apply to this and, and who we want to be testing with during this beta phase. Okay, makes sense. Uh, what are you most excited about for this program? 
Is that a chat question or a Blake question? That's a Blake question. It's always a Blake <laughs> question. It's a Blake question. It's a good Blake question. <laughs> this is like, it's a personal question. Um, I'm, I'm very excited that we finally have a program where we are going to be able to give ongoing support for this community. Um, the support that we've been able to give has been great so far, um, but really once you're featured, um, it kind of takes a while again for you to be featured again because of the amount of applications that we've had mm -hmm. to be featured. And um, so this allows us to finally get everyone into a program where they can uh, always feel like they're being um, engaged with and in the community and something for them to always try to, to work towards and to be getting rewards for. And so the challenges will, we'll have new challenges weekly, monthly, um, even quarterly. Some of them will be even longer than that. And so there will always be something to work towards. Okay. Uh, now, someone messaged in chat that they went to the article and it wasn't quite up yet. I messaged my producer. <laughs> so hopefully that'll be up and readable soon. Um, that is all I have for questions from chat right now. That's great. Yeah. Um, thank you, chat. Thank that you, was chat. easy. Um, <laughs> uh, if, if, Michelle, if they have more questions, what's the best way to get them answered? After this stream, I'm actually going to be doing an AMAA on my Twitter account. So I'll be answering a whole bunch of questions there. Um, but you know, Blake, I'm not quite finished talking about this program yet. Oh, well, go ahead. Because we have another announcement that has to do with what? this program. Oh my gosh! Two <laughs> crazy. Two announcements <laughs> in our two times the show. Okay, yeah. go on. I know this is crazy. <laughs> so, also announcing today is um, actually I think this might be my favorite part. Other than an ongoing program, is that you lied to me? I did. I did. <laughs> it's a little white lie, or maybe a. Shall I say a little green, blue lie? A little, little green lie. Little, okay. little red lie? Because little. we are announcing the Magic the Gathering Green Light Fund. That sounds cool. That, it does sound what, cool. What right? exactly is the Magic the Gathering Green Light Fund? <laughs> All right. The Green Light Fund is a program that we are dedicating $1 million towards. You, you're supposed to. One $1 million. There we go. I know, and you're doing the close one, too. Yeah. Uh, we're dedicating upwards of $1 million to seed fund Magic Series in 2020. And in order to apply for this, um, this is also going to be through the Creator Program. Now, we understand that the beta phase is only going to be allowing a certain amount of creators into the program, so we are not going to actually have the applications for the Greenlight Fund available until full launch later this year. Mm -hmm. That all being said, I, we wanted to announce it because we know this is gonna be a very big deal and we know that you're gonna need to put a lot of work into um, the proposal before you even apply yeah. so that you are you know, putting your best put, foot forward as a, as a, a content creator. So a million dollars, that's a lot of money. It is. Um, and when we say seed fund, we really mean it. So we are going to be dedicating, uh, you know, it could be anywhere between like $5,000 or maybe even $250,000 uh, towards someone's proposal. Mm -hmm. And this is to help kickstart a new magic series. And so when people are actually proposing what their series should be, they should be thinking about that. They should be thinking about how they're going to be using the money. How are they going to get additional support? How will they support their program, their series, after the seed fund has run out. Mm -hmm. You know, those are all of the things that we're going to be looking at in those uh, essentially business proposals for these series. Yeah. And additionally, the Greenlight Fund is not going to be geared towards only Magic the Gathering Arena. 
In fact, it's not going to just be geared towards magic gameplay. Anything considering with magic, uh, cosplay, story, all, all of the things, as long as uh, we feel like there's um, a lot of uh, support there and something that can combine with our uh, marketing and business plans, we're going to consider those applications. Great. There's a lot of magic content out there that I know fans like to consume, so that's, uh, that's really cool. Yeah. It's cool that everybody gets a, everybody's, the way, a lot of different ways to enjoy magic. It's cool that everybody has a, has well, a shot, you right? You know, there are a ton of great content creators out there in yes. magic. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times what you'll see is they have trouble getting off the ground. Because, yeah. And it's not because their content or their idea or their talent isn't there, uh, but because, you know, it, it can be expensive just yeah. to, to buy microphones, to buy cameras, Absolutely. to buy the stuff that you need to get going. To yep. find the time also. To find yeah. the time, yeah, all of that. A lot that. of these people have full-time jobs, you yep. know, it's tough. Yeah. And and so I'm, I'm really excited to see what kind of content and, you know, who we're going to be featuring a year from now. Yes, I'm so excited for that as well. I mean, you know, in theory, I mean, of course this is exciting, but when we actually start seeing the applications for the Greenlight Fund start rolling in, I think we're all going to be a little bit more giddy at that moment because we're going to see just how large the creative of our community um, is. You know, without those boundaries of, of thinking, oh, well, I can't do this because of this right. or this reason. Um, we are going to unleash a whole bunch um, here, and we're excited to see that and help it grow. Yeah. I feel like we're going to be doing a lot of, why didn't we think yeah. of this? <laughs> we do that a lot already. We should have been doing this. And that's okay, you know? Yeah. Um, in fact, please Those make are us the think strongest that way. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, we should have, done we should have thought of this. Yeah. Let's have them do it, yeah. Yep. Any any new questions in no chat? No new with questions. This, uh, a lot of excitement. Yeah. Oh, awesome. Yeah. I'm so uh, happy. A lot of people seem really excited about this. So that's great. Uh, are, any other announcements? Do you have a third one? Dun, dun, dun. Do you have a third one? I <laughs> don't. I don't. <laughs> Two right. is really good, though. Yeah. Two, I guess yeah. I'm two for two, chat. Am I two, two for, for two, two right two now? For two. two for two. I'll give you two for two. Yeah. Cool. Uh, so thank you, Michelle. Yes, uh, of course. For coming on. We are not done. No. Like we said, two shows. Two segments today. For the price of one. Yeah. So we're going to take, we're going to show you a, a little guessing game. Yeah. Guess the Theros card. We were playing it before the show. Uh, it's not easy. It's not. <laughs> some though, some of them are, but a lot of them are. We've literally been playing with. And when we come back... We're going to have Ethan Fleischer and Ian Duke uh, come on to talk all about Theros Beyond Death. Any questions you might have about Theros Beyond Death, they can answer them. Anything and everything. And uh, everything. <laughs> uh, but they have some stories to share. We'll answer your questions. Uh, so we'll be back in just a couple minutes, and we'll see you then. Thank you.
Welcome back. This is not Michelle. No, uh, new people are on the couch now. We have on the far right Ian Duke and a little closer to us Ethan Fleischer. And they were uh, two of the more instrumental people in making Theros Beyond Death happen. Ethan, you were the vision lead, is that correct? That's right, I led the vision design team. Yep. And Ian, what was... I was on the set design team, and also there was a, a period of a couple weeks where I was like an interim set lead while someone was out of office. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, basically, they know all the things yeah. about all the things. So we're going to talk about some of the things, and you'll ask questions yeah. about others of the things. Ask us questions. We've got a list already that we gathered on Twitter, plus some things they want to talk about as well, some cool stories to share with you all. But feel free to put your questions in chat, and we'll get to them as we can. Uh, let's start out, um, we just ended, uh, let's talk about um, Escape. So we were talking a little bit before about how Escape came into the set a little later in the process. Can you talk about yeah, that? Yeah, that's right. So earlier on in the set, um, as Ethan handed off from Vision, there was a, a different mechanic that, um, called Stygian, mm -hmm. uh, which basically divided the battlefield in two, and creatures yep. could be either on one side or the other of the river. I think we've done a couple articles about it. So yep. I won't go Ethan into wrote. Detail. So if you if you check out Daily MTG, Ethan wrote one, and then uh, Mark Rosewater also wrote one. Mm -hmm. But during the set design process, when we we moved away from that mechanic, eventually um, Mark Gottlieb, who was uh, eventually the the end of process set lead. Um, he decided that we needed something new and splashy that you know players had never seen before, mm -hmm. and he came up with Escape as the idea, which naturally fits the flavor of you know horrendous monsters escaping from the underworld and mm -hmm. such. Um, and it was a very ambitious mechanic, I can say, as someone who works on the balance side of things. Yep. There are just so many different you know numbers to tune on the cards, and you know how much mana do we want to make it cost when you escape it versus when you cast it up front? How many cards do you need to exile? Mm -hmm. So when I first saw the mechanic, I was like, uh-oh, this is going to be trouble. <laughs> you know, this is going to be a lot of work to get right. But on the other hand, um, we really like mechanics like that that have a lot of what we call knobs that you yep. can tune to, um, to adjust the power level. It means that it's sort of more work or more difficulty getting them to the right spot, but you can more finely tune the power level of the cards in the end. So uh, it was definitely exciting to work on and became a really, really important of the set, uh, part of the set. Obviously, it needs a lot of structure around it, mm -hmm. you know, ways to get extra cards in your graveyard, all those sorts of things. Um, so it was really kind of a fun, like, centerpiece of the puzzle that kind of uh, enveloped the whole set. Okay. Yeah, it really fits thematically into what the story of Theros Beyond Death is about, which is Elsa, Elspeth escaping from the underworld. Mm -hmm. Like, her, her breaking out of jail is... The thing we knew was going to happen from well before we even started designing the set, but Elspeth is getting out, <laughs> and so I'm, I was so happy that we were able to land on a design for the Elspeth card that used the escape mechanic. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, from what I understand, let's let's talk about Elspeth since it's up on the screen right now. All minus abilities. Now we've done that kind of ish before, mm -hmm. but certainly not in a card that was meant to come back. Did this card start out this way? So once we had the escape mechanic, we knew right away that Elspeth had to be one of the cards that used it. And yep. that's just such an exciting hook for a Planeswalker that would behave unlike any other Planeswalker we've done before. So we want to take the opportunity. And once we knew that Elspeth was going to have escape, it sort of made sense to play into the idea that she would tick down in loyalty pretty quickly and then go to the graveyard and then she'd be able to escape and come back out again. So the idea that she would have all minus abilities um, came up pretty early in the process of exploring what does it mean to have a Planeswalker that has escape. Okay. Uh, now, Ethan, I want to talk about two of the other marquee escape cards from the set, the Titans. Right. So, um, there are only two. 
Was that was that where things started off? Or that or? was not where things started off. Mm -hmm. uh, how it started out was I knew we were going to focus more on the underworld this time because mm -hmm. uh, we kind of saved most of the underworld stuff from the first time we went to Theros. We're like, if we ever come back here, we're going to want to leave something to, to use. So we knew we were going to the underworld. Mm -hmm. And in Greek mythology, trapped in the underworld, locked up there, are the Titans, the sort of ancient parents mm -hmm. of the Greek gods who were too destructive and too dangerous and too mean to be allowed to wander around outside. They were in timeout. They were in timeout. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so I, was, I, I realized that, oh, we should definitely have titans here, but they couldn't just be regular titans because we'd already done that. There was, you know, uh, there were some titans in the, uh, the original Theros. Mm -hmm. So these ones had to be elder titans. Elder titan, elder, the elder creature type is something we use for an ancient primordial gargantuan entity like the elder dragons yep. or the elder dinosaurs. Uh, so in the uh, initial handoff from vision to set design, we had fewer gods and more titans. We had a full cycle of titans at Mythic Rare. Uh, as the set continued to evolve, people decided that we needed to have more of the gods represented and it was too much of a tight fit to have two full cycles mm -hmm. at Mythic Rare. Like you only get 15 Mythic Rare cards in a magic set and filling 10 of those slots with cycles was going to be pretty hard to implement. Didn't leave much room so for else, we yeah. decided to get the best two Titan designs out there. And of course they have the escape mechanic because that's what they're doing in the story. They were locked yep. up in the underworld and then they escape. And I, I like to give people part of what they want so that they send me <laughs> messages demanding more magic cards because that keeps me employed. True, good True. point. Blake, you, uh, you, you're, you currently are, or you were running a draft deck that was making good use of Croxa. Yeah. Uh, on Magic Beyond the Arena. These are not weak cards. Uh, it's even, a nice, nice use of understatement there. Yeah. yeah. This, these have a unique ability in that they die the first time you cast if you're casting them from your hand. How did you arrive at this sort of overall design? So if I recall correctly, I think it was Mark Gottlieb um, who submitted these designs, and it kind of went hand in hand with the development of Escape. These were among the first cards to use Escape or an Escape-like mechanic. Mm -hmm. And the idea, his idea was that these would be creatures that could only be cast from your graveyard. If you tried to cast them from your hand, they would just go away right away. Mm -hmm. um, and that the idea was you'd get them in your graveyard, then cast them from there. And so he decided that they, they needed a way to get in your graveyard in the first place. So he kind of came up with the idea of like, you'd almost cast it like a spell, it would have a one-shot effect and then go to your graveyard, and then if you wanted it to come back permanently as a creature, you'd have to cast it from the graveyard. Just like your favorite magic card, Blake. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, because all of the Titans have That's what we why call... I like these. They're basically we call the yeah. We call the trigger that the Titans have the Titan trigger after the, the Magic 2011 yep, right. Titans. Oh, Whenever yeah. they enter yeah. the battlefield or attack, something happens. So if you evoke it as you do a Mold yep. Drifter, you get that enter the battlefield trigger. I knew I and liked then, them for uh, some reason. Yeah. 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 And so actually, it just felt right when you were casting them, right? <laughs> so interestingly, actually, the original version of the Titans didn't have the attack trigger. They just had to enter the battlefield trigger, again, yep. as a way to like kind of cast them like a spell and they'd go to your graveyard. But after they were in the file for a bit, someone made the note of like, hey, it would be really cool if these had the Titan attack trigger that the M11 Titans had as kind of a callback to that. And we liked the idea, so we added it on there. 
Um, also, uh, they both ended up being 6-6s, six just like the original Titans, mm -hmm. which is something we always knew if we needed to for balance purposes, we could you know, move the costs around and move the power and toughness around. Yeah. But we preferred to have them end up 6-6 six, six if we could get the rest of the numbers right around that, and it worked out well in the end. Um, the last thing I want to mention about the Titans is that having uh, strong multicolored mythics was a goal here too. We knew that with devotion in the set, a lot of the set was going to be about playing monocolor. Mm -hmm. So we wanted to give players a couple reasons to um, to go into multicolor as well. Fair enough. Um, let's move on to uh, something that came back with Theros that was pretty exciting, which was were sagas. And one of the more exciting ones is Cura bests the sea god, the the biggest uh, the biggest out the air. It costs seven mana. It's large. <laughs> yeah. Ethan, you you had some stories about this. Yeah, so the we originally introduced sagas in Dominaria as a way to sort of explore the cultural breadth of all of these different factions in Dominaria and tell some of the old stories from Dominaria. Mm -hmm. uh, sagas are always enchantments, so when we were coming to Theros, like Theros has an enchantment theme, and so we seriously considered sagas. Like, this could really work. Um, there aren't as many stories from Theros's background, right? There, there have been two novels written in Theros and a few right. short stories. But Theros also draws heavily from Greek mythology, so we can kind of allude to some classic Greek myths here. So we thought there was enough space to do sagas, and as, as it turned out, uh, there was enough space. Kurobes the Sea God is an example of, of a more magic-specific story. This is uh, referring to a story written by Kelly Diggs mm -hmm. about the time that Kiora, the, the merfolk planeswalker, went to Theros to try to get Eryxmethes, this Le huge leviathan, mm -hmm. uh, and Thassa the Sea God objected and beat the crap out of Kiora and threw her bident at her. <laughs> And Kiora said, thanks for the bident, and then planes walked away. <laughs> and so that's why in War of the Spark, you can see Kiora has this bident. Yeah. Uh, she, she's got the sea god's bident, mm -hmm. and she just, she's got it forever now. She is now the greatest thief in the multiverse. <laughs> oh. 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 Poor one out for Dad. Yep. Uh, <laughs> Ian, this, this card is very powerful. How did it end up there? Uh, well, I mean, we like the idea of having a big, powerful saga. You know, it's telling, you know, a great story there as well. And it was just kind of a natural fit to have, you know, a huge creature representing, um, um, you know, a sea monster and such. Uh, actually, funny story about the card is that uh, we ended up at Mythic Rare on the card, right? Yep. At a yep. certain point in the process, it was actually a rare. And it was the most complained about card in Limited because <laughs> of just how powerful it is. Uh, so I won't say we then immediately kicked it up to Mythic Rare, but I'll put it that as we were sort of massaging the file and moving stuff around, we saw the opportunity to move this card up to Mythic um, because we thought it would be a better fit for limited play there. And yep. I'm glad we ended up that way. Okay. Uh, speaking of the most complained about Rare, uh, one of the... <laughs> good segue here. Yeah, good one segue. Of, well, one that of was the, a good one. When chat was talking through some of their initial cards that we wanted, that they wanted to ask mm -hmm. about, Dream Trawler yes. was mm. one of them. And uh, Dream Trawler, uh, control finisher, the card. Yep. Um, talk a little bit about how this card came to be. Okay, so first of all, I will acknowledge, yes, this card is very powerful and limited. Yes, we were very aware of that. Um, this card actually was added to the file later on in the process during the FFL, the Future Future League period, mm -hmm. where we identified a need for a control finisher in standard. And the problem we were trying to address, if you think back to the days of um, Teferi, Hero of Dominaria, 
in standard that a lot of the control decks completely eschewed win conditions and they would just you know deck the opponent out naturally or yep. loop to fairies things like that and that's a gameplay pattern that we we really try to avoid and it can be a tricky thing because um if the control finishers that we give you aren't strong enough, the control players will just choose to play no win condition instead and mm -hmm. just try to win by prolonging the game indefinitely and milling out the opponent. So we need to give you powerful enough win conditions that they're actually worth spending a deck slot on. Um, and this is where we needed to end up um, for this card to be right for standard. Yeah. And again, we know that it's very powerful and limited there, and we look for opportunities to maybe this could be a Mythic Rare instead, but in the end, the set structure just didn't allow for it. So something we're aware of, but that's, this is where we had to end up. Makes sense. All right, so we've talked a lot about power levels so far. Let's talk a little bit more about um, the story and some of the top-down designs because this was a very top-down set. Um, there were a couple cards that Ethan called out as, as particularly top-down. Let's talk, oh God, I'm going to butcher this name. Illyrios Enraptured. Right, so this is an allusion to the Greek myth about Narcissus, mm -hmm. who was this extremely beautiful young man and he came upon this still pool mm -hmm. and saw his reflection there and could not look away because he was so gorgeous and I believe he just starved to death staring at his own <laughs> reflection. So we tried to capture that story in card form here. So this, this card can't untap, it's stuck there as long as its reflection is there. And then uh, the reflection token that it makes has the... Uh, the power and toughness reversed. It's a 3-2 rather than a 2-3 because, of course, it's a mirror image. Mm -hmm. This is a really clever card. I've, yeah. I've enjoyed seeing this played. I enjoyed seeing this when it was... It's not really weak well. either. Like, this no, is it's good. Yep. Like, it's a good card. I like this card limited. Yeah. A, you can do some uh, shenanigans with blinking it, flickering it, stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. And uh, funny fact, uh, people pointed out that the, the token having the reflected power and toughness of the, the creature, it actually didn't start out that way. That was something mm. that was added fairly late on in the process. I think that, Sam Stoddard that was, submitted that was this card my early on. Idea yeah. Yeah. Because during the great designer search, the, the hiring process that I was hired from, I uh, was playing around with reflection tokens and they had this reverse power toughness. Oh. So I was like, I remember uh, this situation. All right. <laughs> I see how it is. That's awesome. Yeah. Really cool. Nice. Um, so next, let's look at uh, another top-down design, Mirror Shield. Right. Ah, the Gorgon Shield. Yeah. Right. So this is another illusion. I, I think it was, uh, I want to say Perseus? That Perseus sounds right, yeah. 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 So Perseus defeated Gorgon, uh, Medusa, the Gorgon. Uh, and part of how he did that was he had this shield that was polished to a mirror sheen. Mm -hmm. uh, I think he just used it so he didn't have to look directly at mm -hmm. her, but like the cooler yeah. story is right. that it reflects the death gaze of the Gorgon back to it. Uh, I designed this card for the original Theros set. It didn't make it into that. I tried to get into Born of the Gods. It didn't make it through the crucible of design development there. Mm -hmm. I tried to put it into Journey mm -hmm. into Nyx. It still didn't make it. I was like, I'm getting this card done. This is this is the time-honored Mark Rosewater strategy of just <laughs> outlast Keep the naysayers. Keep four, doing it until it works. Fourth so time's I, the charm. That's right. Fourth that's time's the charm for this card. So it's. I realize it's not a, a very powerful effect, hosing death touch creatures. Fairly corner case thing, but the flavor is, is just mm. so good. Um, and then I want to look at two other cards in the top down area, although one of them is a reprint. It still feels top down, but it's a reprint. 
Uh, Thundering Chariot and Underworld Dreams. Mm. So what, what's the story behind Thundering Chariot? Thundering Chariot is what I like to call a Time Spiral 2 design, where we take a previous card's mechanic and do a, a really, like, a little winking reference to it. So there was a card in Journey into Nyx, which was uh, an equipment called... Uh, existed right mm -hmm. so but like conceptually a chariot is clearly a vehicle it's it's got wheels and people ride around in it so when it was time to make uh, Theros Beyond Death I thought oh let's remake this card but in vehicle form so I made a vehicle that has first strike and trample and haste three three sounded like about the right size for that where you would want to uh, where you would want to crew that up and so we now have a little little time spiral two card in uh, Theros Beyond Death Nice. Very cool. Uh, and Underworld Dreams. This was, uh, I've been playing for a long time. I, I know you guys have too. So this this was one of the more exciting reprints to me when I saw mm -hmm. it in the final. And I was like, oh, it's an uncommon. Yeah, that was crazy. What's going on here? Yeah. Right. Underworld Dreams is a classic card. Mm -hmm. First printed in Legends, which yeah. I believe was the third magic set? Fourth magic set. Mm -hmm. Sure. The yep. fourth magic set ever. Uh, and so it's, it's this enchantment that... You know, has a has a nice ability here. It, it deals damage to people who draw cards, and it has a, a totally reprintable template. It looks like a totally modern magic design, which cannot be said of every card from the Legends. <laughs> <It's been laughs> very few cards from Legends. <laughs> and true. it's it's uh, casting cost is just tailor made for a set that's about devotion and mm -hmm. enchantments, right? Like this, this just feels very much at home here. And of course, the name Underworld Dreams. This set is so much about the underworld. Like if this card hadn't previously existed, it's not that far off from something you guys would have just designed. I for. think so for Theros yeah. especially. Yeah. yeah, and it's so satisfying when we find the perfect reprint that mm -hmm. is like mechanically and creatively just a perfect match. Uh, it's, it's one of the, the very fun things that we get to do. Uh, usually when I'm leading a set, I just go through my magic encyclopedia and look <laughs> at every magic card just to see is there anything here. And every once in a while, I'll find just the perfect gem that uh, is the exact right reprint for the right time. Nice. Uh, well, next I want to talk about uh, the only god we didn't see in the previous Theros set. Uh, so, Zul, if you're, uh, you're distracted at work, come back. Uh, we're going to talk about Clothis, uh, <laughs> God of Destiny. Uh, so we had a couple people ask about this card. So this was the missing god from the original Theros block. Right. When we first went to Theros, there, was, there were 14 gods. Mm -hmm. Nice round Magic the Gathering number, right? <laughs> yeah, we, totally. We love our multiples of seven, right? They're, they're the best. Yeah. They're the thing I like most about Magic is the For the days of, of the week. There was yeah. a temple called Temple of Abandon. Not really sure who was in charge of that. Mm -hmm. What was that a temple to? I don't know. And then in between Born of the Gods and Journey into Nyx, the planeswalker Xenagos had a wild party that caused him to ascend to godhood. And he, he became the red-green god of Theros, bringing us up to a nice round 15 gods. Mm -hmm. But presumably somebody must have been the red green god before Xenagos did that. that like slot, where yeah. where did this temple come from who was in charge of this so everybody in the department i think was pretty interested in the idea of like okay let's let's find out about this person where mm -hmm. could they have been and 
hanging out in the underworld seemed like a good place. It was like, where did the camera in our story not really go? Mm -hmm. The underworld, here's this missing person. And we never really had a sort of Persephone analog, which is this goddess that goes back and forth between the underworld and the realm of mortals. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so we thought, okay, we're gonna have a new goddess and she'll have been hanging out in the underworld. And we, we moved a little bit away from the Persephone uh, archetype, which is more about like seasonal change yeah. and more into the god of destiny. But uh, that was sort of the, the impetus for creating Clovis. How much of this was known during the original Theros or leading up to exploring the new Theros? Not really any of it. Okay, so it was just one of those things that's like, It'd be cool if we filled in this hole in the future, but we're going to leave that for future. Yeah, I don't I, think I, either of you around for for original. I was around. I was. Yeah, I, I was too. Yeah, we so were, was actually we were the first here. set that I went. Okay, yeah. fair enough. Yeah, I was on the design team for all three sets in Theros Black. Okay. So, um, but yeah, um, very pretty much nothing was known. We were just like, it was just clear that there was an empty space there, and people like to complete patterns, mm -hmm. uh, both both here in the building and in our audience. So like we realized that uh, this would definitely, if it was going to satisfy us, it would satisfy certain sectors of the audience as well. Okay. So an interesting note about the development of the card for mm -hmm. Clothis is that um, it was described, I think, early on that it would be the god of uh, fate and destiny. So one of the early abilities that we tried out actually had a random element to it. Okay. I think it was something along the lines of like, putting a plus one plus one counter on a random creature you control and dealing damage to a random creature an opponent controls. But we found after playtesting with it, A, it was extremely onerous to randomize that every turn. You'd mm -hmm. have to roll a die and maybe re-roll it if there was an odd number, you know, strange number of creatures or whatever. Uh, and then B, P, it was just wasn't very satisfying for, for random elements like that to determine the outcome of games. So we moved away from that. Mm -hmm. And the final ability ended up having still some element of that where you're doing a different thing depending on which card you exile from a graveyard. Mm -hmm. um, so capturing a little bit of that, there are different outcomes that can happen, but in a more deterministic and satisfying way. Okay. Uh, let's move to talking about some of the answers you see mm -hmm. in this set. So part of what play design does, uh, which not the teams you're on, right? You're, I, you, I know you interact with them obviously. during this time. I was the technical lead for play the, design. For the yeah. play design. Okay, yeah. um, so a lot of what play design is it seeds answers to things that they mm -hmm. know are in standard or are coming. So let's talk about a couple of those. Um, one of the it, you kind of pass over it at first, but whirlwind denial is actually mm -hmm. kind of a key card. How how'd that come about? Yeah, this was a card we specifically added to the file after we saw um, roughly. Roughly nine months ago, standard, um, mm -hmm. where Hydrid Krasos was really breaking out, um, a card that we knew would see play, but was seeing a bit more play than we expected, so we wanted to add um, some answers to it there. So it was it's kind of tricky in that uh, Hydrid Krasos' ability uh, triggers when you cast the spell, so we needed to kind of come up with a creative template that could counter both the creature itself and also the effect mm -hmm. that it was, it was having there. Um, so this, is a, this spell actually counters like sort of all the spells, all the abilities that are on the stack. Um, at the same time, um, and with the added benefit that this could be something that you might use against like storm cards, you mm -hmm. know, in other contexts, um, and just a nice card in general to, to have around at a, a reasonable power level. It's not overbearing, but it's a decent answer, you know, okay. that's there if you need it. Now, did you say that this was added about nine months ago? Sorry, it was as a reaction to, yeah, what we were seeing in standard, yeah, okay. yeah, back that then, seems yeah. pretty late in the process. It was fairly late in the process. Um, that's something that, you know, Obviously, not all the cards are added there, but we had flexibility up until you know around that point where 
Um, sometimes we'll take um, a card that's already in the file that has art and maybe repurpose it to something where the art still works, but it's a more direct answer to what's going on. Mm -hmm. I think in this case it was a counterspell that was doing something slightly different, and then we kind of just tailored it to gotcha. that answer. Yep. It also has some of the best flavor text uh, in the set and some of the blakiest flavor text I've seen. I <laughs> honestly don't even know what It's no, no, and no. Oh, yeah, that <laughs> makes sense. Fair enough. Um, let's talk next about Arasta of the Endless Web. Which, oh, I'm so excited for this Besides card. being a cool yeah. spider, mm -hmm. is actually a card you seeded to deal with a specific deck style. Yeah, uh, so again, um, about a year ago in Standard, we were seeing decks based around Crackling Drake and casting a bunch of spells, Niv-Mizzet, um, that style of red-blue spells deck, and mm -hmm. so we wanted to have something here where if that deck was still strong after the rotation, because um, a lot of the cards came from um, uh, from GRN, mm -hmm. uh, that we would have something there to, to kind of answer that, and this is a decent solution for that. And you'll notice they're one-two spiders, so Not that one, the Nibmizit yeah. ping doesn't just kill them. Yeah, Got to spend two cute. pings on that. That's yep. cute. Yep. Yeah. Also happens to be a cool legendary spider that... Uh, you can go in Commander. Yeah, I'm looking forward to mine. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've, got a, I've got a Spider Tribal Commander deck that wants to say hello. Oh, for yeah. For sure, yeah. Uh, next up, let's talk about one of my favorite cards mm -hmm. in the set, for obvious reasons. Shatter the Sky. So we moved So surprising. Shocking. <laughs> uh, some time ago, uh, we publicly kind of said we're moving away from four mana wrath. Yep. And then uh, Kaya's Wrath came around, and now this. So mm -hmm. talk a little bit about the changing philosophy there. Yeah, so I guess starting from the point where at, at once upon a time, four mana Wraths were just a staple and standard. I think just because of the happenstance of that's what Wrath of God originally cost, and mm -hmm. it kept getting reprinted for so many years, people just kind of got used to, hey, this is what a Wrath costs. Yeah. Um, and then at a certain point, we asked ourselves the question, is this what a Wrath should cost? Mm -hmm. Because... Um, it's just really having Wrath of God in standard is just really powerful and oppressive against you know decks that play a lot of creatures. Um, so we kind of took a break from four mana Wraths for a bit, and we tried out variations of five mana Wraths that had additional upside on them, um, mm -hmm. like Planar Outburst or Fumigate being examples of those. Um, and you know we were okay with where we were in that spot, but ultimately after after living in that world for a few years. Um, we felt like the power level of those types of sweepers was just a, a hair under what we were going for. Mm -hmm. So we wanted to kind of land somewhere in between the Wrath of God and Fumigate type space. Um, so my idea was to try going back and having four mana Wraths again. And the first experiment with that was Kaya's Wrath, where mm -hmm. obviously the sort of the, the downside there is that it's so color intensive that yep. you, either you have to build your deck around it and, and be really restrictive in your colors, or sometimes you don't get to cast it on turn four. Um, here, I was again willing to experiment now with a, a mono white one, but the thing that I want to solve for is that I really like having Wraths in the environment as countermeasure against decks that go super wide with lots of small creatures, but it's kind of a shame that it also takes care of all the big creatures also, because we want there to be design space where you'll actually play big creatures in your standard deck sometimes. Mm -hmm. So this is kind of solving for that, where it does sweep all the creatures, but if your opponent is playing some big creatures mixed in, that they get a little compensation there. But also on the other end, um, if you happen to sweep your own creature, um, or maybe even have an indestructible god in play, or a card like Gideon or something mm -hmm. like that, you can actually take advantage of it too. So it's a little bit of a, a kiss-curse type thing. Yeah, I'd have to play creatures in my deck. I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's not, that's not the Blake way. It's not, not. the Blake way. Unless um, it's Mall Drifter. Unless it's Mall. <laughs> Not really crazy. He's going with the graveyard. It's kind of a, it's yeah, kind exactly. of 
Blake's never casting Ball Drifter for anything but Imploded. So we spent some time talking about Elspeth, Sun's Nemesis, but let's talk a little bit about the other Planeswalkers, too. So um, let's start with Ashiok, who's another returning character, and then we'll move to Calyx. Uh, Ashi the Ashiok that's printed in this Theros looks a lot different than the original Ashiok Planeswalker card. Um, how'd you arrive at this design? Well, we knew that the, the really fun thing to my mind about Ashiok is you get to play with your opponent's spells. Mm -hmm. Like, that is really fun for people who like a lot of variants from game to game, right? You can play, bring the same deck to F&M, but each matchup is very different because you never know what you're going to get. Mm -hmm. uh, and so we thought it would be really fun to make an Ashiok that makes nightmare tokens that somehow help you kind of do Ashiok's thing, help mm -hmm. you get the spells. Yeah, I, I totally agree with everything Ethan said. Um, it's worth noting that sort of the first Ashiok design, um, both Ashioks, you know, involved basically exiling your opponent's cards and being able to cast them. The first design was um, lower on the mana curve. It was a three-mana design, and it sort of protected mm -hmm. itself by accruing loyalty really quickly, which if you have too much of that in standard, I think most would agree that that can, you know, not be the health healthiest play pattern. So we wanted to go with something a little bit higher on the curve that had more of a traditional, you know, it can make tokens to defend itself mm -hmm. um, type of a gameplay there. So this was kind of just a natural natural outcome of that. These are some strong token making ability. Mm -hmm. Plus yeah. one to make yeah. two three. Yep. It's really insane. A two three with an extra ability. Yeah. 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 Um, it's a five mana planeswalker. Though. It's true. <laughs> yeah. It's true. It, it takes a lot to, to get into play if you're a five mana planeswalker. Um, all right. We're running out of time, so I want to get to some questions from uh, fans. Uh, Ethan, we talked about this one a little bit beforehand. Uh, Dryad of the Elysian Grove. Right. Not a dryad. Right. Let's, it is a, let's it is take a, a look nymph at that card. Creature type. Uh, what's the story there? All right. So, it's a little bit of a, a convoluted story. Okay. But <laughs> when Richard Garfield first made Magic <laughs> the Gathering. <laughs> right. So let's look at the the, the type line here: Enchantment Creature Nymph. Yep. And then let's take a look at Richard Garfield's original Dryad. I that may be. Tough to pull. Does he have that? He's got it. He's got it. He's got okay, it. There yeah. we go. Okay, there. Oh. Okay. So, so if you look at the at the type line here, it says summon nymph. So Richard Garfield knew what he was doing. He yep. put summon nymph on here. <laughs> Subsequent printings of Shinoded dryads and all later dryads said summon dryad. Or uh, you know, once we switched uh, to what was it, sixth edition rules, it was yeah. creature m dash yeah. yeah. uh, dryad. And then when we went to Theros for the first time, uh, we all realized, oh, we need to have more than just Dryads here. We need Oreads and Alsaids and Lampads and gosh. Everybody's favorite. Yeah, all those things. All the, different, asking, yeah, all the different constantly. kinds of nymphs. Yeah. And they couldn't all have the creature type Dryad because that's just weird. Why would an Oread have the Dryad <laughs> creature type? That's crazy. <laughs> So it's unfathomable. It really is. Yeah. So we so we put we we decided to bring back the nymph creature type as Richard Garfield intended. Yep. And then we had the weird situation of like, but yes, yeah, some of these nymphs are green and they are in fact dryads. So what we put on the type line for those was enchantment creature nymph dryad. So like we covered all our bases. Everybody gets everything. Um, Somehow this new card slipped through the cracks and it is just a nymph. Mm -hmm. This is just an error and it's aesthetically oh. displeasing. <laughs> <laughs> but okay. rest, Surprise ending to the story, rest yeah. assured, top people 
are looking into it. Good to know. <laughs> and the appropriate steps will be taken. Someone's going to be fired. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Good. Good. Love no, to this hear one that. just slipped past everybody. Every once in a while, there's there's something where it's like everybody looked at this card and nobody noticed that something was wrong. <laughs> I'm sorry to say that's what happened here. R&D, they're people too. Yeah. To err is yeah. creature type human. Yeah. That's yeah. right. <laughs> Um, let's, I, you know, we had a very excited question on Twitter about mm. Nessian Boar, because it is bigger than the Titans. How did that card come to be? That's a great question. I wish I remembered the exact sequence of events here, but I do know at one point there was uh, a smaller version of, of a similar card, um, the Nessian Boar, in the set. I think it was like a 5-4, I want to say. Mm -hmm. And then I believe it was just toward the end of the process, we were just looking at sort of the balance of creature sizes and um, cards for different, you know, player psychographics, and we decided we needed to timmy something up a little bit, mm -hmm. needing, you know, make it bigger and splashier, and this was the card to do it. So we just uh, uh, made a bigger version of, big. of the design. Yeah, yeah that's it. Yeah, this, this, when it wrestles with a Titan, this, oh, they both died. I mean, this, this card is a base on, I believe, the Aramanthian boar from mm -hmm. mythology, which was wrestling that thing to the ground or something, was one of Heracles's 12 labors. Right. So it, this needs to be worthy of Heracles, and mm -hmm. I think it is. Um, Chad is reminding me that I promised we'd talk about all three Planeswalkers when we skipped Calix. We did. Okay. Uh, so Calix is a new character right. uh, that figures pretty prominently in, in the story behind these cards. So uh, talk about where Calix came from. Was, it there at the, was he there at the start? Calix was not there from the start, but pretty early on in vision design, we realized that we were going to want an enchantment-themed planeswalker. Mm -hmm. And we wanted it to be a new character, somebody with like a dynamic visual design that would like, like what if they wanted to be in the Netflix show or something? Like yeah. we would want them to be somebody that looks cool and has cool powers that have a good, a good visual aspect to them. And we also wanted them to sort of be a... Uh, sort of counterpoint or an antagonist to a Johnny mm -hmm. from a certain point of view. Like a Johnny is this green white planeswalker and this character is gonna be a green white planeswalker. A Johnny's mad at the gods and like has allied himself with the Leonin of Theros who are like enemies of the gods. Mm -hmm. It's hard to be an atheist in Theros, but they try. <laughs> uh, and, but Calix was created directly by a god. He's a, he's a Nyx born and he, he's working directly for Clothis as sort of uh, an agent of Clothis to sort of rein in all these people who are defying fate. Mm -hmm. And so he is uh, following Elspeth around the multiverse, trying to get her to go back where she belongs, which is in the underworld. He doesn't do very well. Nope, nope. <laughs> Elspeth doesn't is, work out is super well for him. vastly more powerful and experienced than Calix, and so he's going to have to level up a little bit before he's going to be able to... Uh, to do anything about Well, you know, it's a shame the Mumble Up is not in the set. Well, <laughs> we'll uh, probably print another <laughs> Calyx somewhere else. I can't promise to say the same thing about the level of the <laughs> uh, Ian, how do you arrive at this suite of abilities? So we knew as soon as the character was introduced to the set that it was going to be the, the enchantment uh, themed Planeswalker. Obviously, you know, Theros very heavily associated with enchantments. Makes sense to have a Planeswalker that plays in that space. Um, it's really natural to go to the you know impulse for an enchantment type of space there to help enable an enchantment uh, heavy deck, and I forget how we came up with this uh, the minus ability, but basically making it an enchantment into a into an oblivion ring is something mm -hmm. that really delighted people when they saw it, and that stuck pretty quickly. 
Uh, I will say, uh, uh, during testing earlier in the stages, we actually did try a ver I'm not sure if I should tell you guys this or not, but I'm going to tell you anyway. Okay. We tested a version of uh, Calyx that actually had Constellation on it. If you and hadn't so, told them, I was and so when wow. I, I, think, I yeah. feel like somebody else already said yeah. that publicly, okay, so fine. I think, yeah. I'm in the clear then. And uh, so the way it worked is whenever an enchantment entered the battlefield under your control, he gained a loyalty, yeah, actually, which right, was right, pretty cool. Yeah. And obviously we had to tweak all the numbers around that um, so that you didn't like immediately rush to the ultimate super fast. Mm -hmm. um, but we tried that for a while, and it, it was fun. We were enjoying it. Um, but ultimately, the set was very, very wordy. And oh, actually, yeah. the card that we had been testing just didn't fit on a magic card yep. uh, in English, let alone in you know some of the other languages. Uh, so at a certain point, we had to decide, you know, which of these abilities do we want to keep, and ultimately, um, you know, we, we preserve the rest of the card, but not the constellation aspect. Yeah, if there were times during this set's development where it was the wordiest magic set I've ever seen, and actually, we had to do a whole article about it. In yeah. fact, mm -hmm. have to. Martin Notley <laughs> wrote actually one of the best articles we've run in a really so long good. time. I love that article. Um, it's so good. Yeah, if you look for Mark Gottlieb's preview article from Theros Beyond Death on our website. Um, it's it's a really good article. It's just a fun read, but it's also really insightful and a really good look at some of the process stuff that you guys go through to arrive at. It's just not something most people think about. Yeah. How wordy is a set? But you guys, we track that. That yeah. is a metric that we track. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, all right, we are at three o'clock, but I'm going to ask one question because someone really wants to know Great. how Dalakos changed through the card design process. Uh, can we pull it up here? So, yep. Pressure here. Yeah, so... I this was another one that didn't fit on the card, yes, right? Yes, yes, yes. An earlier version of this was, again, wordy to the point of we can't actually print this wordy. Like, there's yeah. wordy like, hey, the set's getting a little complicated, and then there's wordy like, we actually can't do physically this. Cannot yes, physically cannot We would have to move, increase the text box size right. in order to actually get it on so the card. So at a certain point, we just kind of had to be like, okay, we like this slot in the file, but we need to just come up with a new card. And I believe, um, you know, the call was sent out, the bat signal went up, <laughs> we called all our best designers in and came up with a bunch of ideas, and this was the one that was picked. Very cool. All right. Well, we are more than out of time. Uh, thank you guys for joining us. There were more questions. I wish we could have gotten to them, um, but we'll you know, maybe we'll have you guys on again later, and we'll just, just talk I'd be happy stuff. To. Um, so thank you, Ethan. Thank you, Ian. Uh, thank you, Michelle, for coming yeah. on at the start of the show and talking about all kinds of cool stuff that we're doing uh, with and for creators. And uh, if you want to see more about the creator program. Daily MTG yep. should be an article up there. The article's up right now. Excellent. A lot of opportunities if you're a content creator, so be sure to check that out. Otherwise, we will be back next week. What are we talking about next week? You know, life is full of little mysteries, Blake. It is. <laughs> it's <laughs> it's, it's any, yeah. We'll, we'll be here. We have a plan. I are know you? I've written this out. I just don't remember what it is. Yeah. But it'll be great. It's going to so, be awesome. Yeah. <laughs> we can guarantee you, you that. We yeah. will see you next week. Thanks for tuning in.